0: The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. This morning I want to talk to you a little bit more about family. I started last week with you guys, and uh, I had a lot of great comments from the wives last week, not too many from the men, but that's okay. Um, I want to talk to you about the pathway to respect and I, I invited Aretha Franklin to come, and I thought maybe a disco ball might be really cool up here, and we could kind of do this thing. But uh, Jamie decided that it wasn't a good worship song. So actually, um, how many of you remember the uh, comedian who recently passed away, Rodney Dangerfield? Do you remember him? Remember I always used to say his big comedy thing was, I can't get no respect? Well, I, I had a few quotes from him I thought you'd enjoy this morning. He said, when I was a kid, I got no respect. The time I was kidnapped, and the kidnapper sent my parents a note, they said. We want $5,000 or we'll keep your kid. Uh, This one says, I asked my old man if I could go ice skating on the lake. He told me, wait till it gets warmer. And this is the good one here. When I was born, the doctor came out to the waiting room and said to my father, I'm very sorry. We did everything we could, but he pulled through. Well, for baby dedication this morning, maybe that was appropriate. I'm not sure. But I hope that isn't the case in your family, and perhaps maybe even your workplace, if you're a boss or you're a leader of some regard. Respect is an important issue in our lives, and this morning I want to talk to you about that in maybe a little different way, and I, I want you to think about respect in a couple of different ways. Number one, respect means to esteem or think much of or regard or honor or pay tribute or devotion or admiration. Do those terms reflect your family life as you were coming, as you were growing up? Do they reflect your family life right now? Maybe in the workplace, does it reflect as well? And as I thought about this, I thought about two kinds of respect. One would be positional respect, which is really uh, respect that kind of goes with a, a place of authority, like an elder or a parent or a leader, an employer, a governing authority. And yet, that kind of respect—you can have respect for that person and not love them. And uh, and then there's the other side of it, what I would kind of call earned respect, which is what I want to talk to you about this morning, where love and respect come together. And that has to be earned by developing and investing in the lives of people, so that you develop this credibility and trust. And so it's really, really important when we talk about respect to think about earning that respect. No matter what position we have, it needs to be earned. We know we can love somebody and not respect them, but we can also respect people we don't love. And so this morning, let's talk about the respect that really has love attached to it. I want you to turn with me to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. As I was thinking about this matter of respect, I thought about this passage in Philippians 2 that many of you are pretty familiar with, but it really depicts to me the ultimate act of respect and love that a person could give and it's all about Jesus and what he did for us. If you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 follow with me. It says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. But at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Where did that exaltation come from? Where did that respect where every knee will bow someday before the Lord Jesus Christ and every tongue will confess that He's Lord, where did it start? With an attitude of humility, right? An attitude of humility. Humility starts with the right attitude, by the way. Chuck Swindoll wrote this a number of years ago. It's always been Uh, important quote for me in my life. It says, "'I believe the single most significant decision I can make on a day-to-day basis is my choice of attitude. It is more important than my past, my education, my bankroll, my successes or failures, fame or pain, what other people think of me or say about me, my circumstances or my position. Attitude keeps me going or cripples my progress.' It alone fuels my fire or assaults my hope. And when my attitude is right, there's no barrier too high, no valley too deep, no dream too extreme, no challenge too great for me. Well, what should be my attitude in order to garner this respect that the Lord Jesus had? Well, it was obviously an attitude of humility. But how does that play out? What kind of an attitude should we have? Well, number one, we should have a no-entitlement attitude. If you look at that passage in verse 5, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. See, Jesus knew who He was. He could garner all the authority He could ever want. He was was God Himself, and yet He didn't cling to that. He didn't uh, default to this, this matter of entitlement. We live in a society of entitlement, don't we? It's really critical that we understand that when we, when we want respect, we need to earn it. We don't necessarily deserve it. I was thinking back when I was uh, the first couple of weeks on the job when I was a police chaplain, and I remember going down to the SWAT team. And the SWAT team, you know, are the, the top cops in the Phoenix Police Department and pretty much in every department. And I walked into the weight room where the testosterone was dripping off the walls. And I walked through the weight room and all these burly guys, I mean, all buffed, I mean, they looked like Robocops. And they look at me and like, who in the world are you, you 175-pound weakling wimp? Well, who are you? Who do you think you are? Well, I felt like an alien. And I knew from that point on, if I was going to break that blue line that the police department has, I was going to have to earn their respect. And so I began to train with them. I became the bad guy in their, in their, their uh, practice operations, if you will, and, and so they cuffed me and stuffed me, and I was attacked by the canine unit dogs, and, and, uh, and, and I, would, I would be the bad guy in a shoot house, and I would shoot back at the cops, and over a period of three years, finally, I felt like I had broken through. And that's the way we need to be in our own lives, no matter what position we carry, It's critical that we don't feel like we have any real entitlement, that we really work hard at earning that respect and identifying with the people that we're in charge of and making the effort to break through sometimes those barriers in people's lives. But secondly, I want you to notice about Jesus is that He had a very secure attitude, This isn't an egotistical thing that Jesus was dealing with, but it was this holy confidence. Why? Because Jesus knew who He was. He knew the role He needed to play as the Son of God. He needed to come and He needed to die for each one of us on the cross so that we might know what eternal life is like in heaven. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, you're missing out. Let me just tell you. Because because someday, as we just read, you're going to stand there before God, and not just stand, you're going to kneel before the Son of God, and, and, and you're going to bow, and you're going to confess that He's Lord, so why not start today? Amen? And some of you need to do that. But see, He knew who He was, and what I've discovered is, is that people of true humility are very secure in who they are. They're not overconfident, There's a godly confidence about them where they're secure enough to know that I have nothing to prove and nothing to lose. And when you're around those kind of people, you just kind of gravitate to them, don't you? You feel more comfortable around them. You have a respect for them because they kind of know who they are and they know their limits and they have a self-awareness. And you kind of come alongside them and you say, Yeah, I like this person. I can respect that. I can really enjoy being around them. But secondly, humility also means vulnerability. And this is hard for some of us, but in verse 7 it says, "...but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of his servant." Do you realize when Jesus came to earth, he became a human being? Do you realize how vulnerable that was for God to become human? And sometimes we need to remember that we need to identify with humanity. Have you ever been around a person that can never admit that they're wrong? Isn't it frustrating I had a guy in my staff many years ago who was my executive pastor, and he could never admit that he was wrong. And every time you'd go into a confrontation in the office, you would always walk away feeling like you were the bad guy or that you had your tail between your legs because he could never admit that he would make a mistake. And if he would apologize, it was always, I'm sorry, but. And when you put that but on the end of I'm sorry, you realize that, no, there's no real vulnerability there. There's a pride that needs to be broken through, and sometimes we need to understand that we need to make sure that we let our humanity show when we're in that leadership position. And dads, that's so important in the home, it's so important for moms to do that, to make ourselves vulnerable enough so that our kids and people around us see that we're human beings, that we make mistakes, that we need, we need help from God as well. But thirdly, humility means that there needs to be sacrifice. And we know what Jesus did. And being found in appearance in verse 8, it says, As a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I talked to you guys last week about what it means to be a sacrificial leader and that the first person in the home that needs to be able to sacrifice is dad. But to gain respect, I need to be the first person to sacrifice. And here's my question. What sacrifices? Have you made in your family that will have earned your husband's or wife or kids' respect at work or even at church? Have you ever identified those things? Can your kids say to you, yeah, I remember growing up that, man, my mom and dad really, really gave it up for us a lot of times, and we have so much respect for them. It's so important that we give it up if we want respect. We need to be the first ones to make that sacrifice. Well, look at what happens in verse 9. Because of the attitude of humility that Christ demonstrated, look what the result was. And we don't get this sometimes as human beings, but in verse 9 it says, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see what what we're saying here? What Jesus demonstrated was that humility was the pathway to exaltation. Humility is the pathway to respect. Until we humble ourselves, we're never going to gain that respect that we're looking for in the lives of people that we lead and have influence over. Secondly, I want you to see the second pathway respect, I believe, is found in the matter of discipline. If you'll turn over to Hebrews chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. It's a very another familiar passage that God led me to this past week. Repeat, uh, Re- Hebrews chapter 12 talks about the matter of discipline. Look at what it says in verse 5. Let's start there. And if you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons... My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons for what son is not disciplined by his father. If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Let's look at discipline for a minute because I think discipline really commands respect. Why? Let me give you some answers. Number one is that discipline says, I love you. Discipline makes a statement. It says, I love you. When you administer discipline, you're saying, I love you. It says in verse 6, for the Lord disciplines what? Those he hates? No, those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as his son. See, discipline and love need to go together. And when we discipline in love, it really helps the person who is being disciplined to respond to that because they realize this is for my good. It's done out of love. You see, if discipline is done without being in love, what happens? You, you lose respect for that person. Here's a second thought Discipline says I'm accepted. It, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. You see, when we discipline and love, we're telling the person that they fit, that you're a part of this family, that you're accepted. And even though I'm disciplining you, I'm disciplining you because I love you, and that means that you are accepted. Accepted. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a uh, probably a classic example of that is when we see a, a blended family, if you will, and you have a, a step-parent and you have a biological parent, right? And oftentimes we tell the step-parent you're going to have to kind of back off a little bit about your discipline because it really should be the biological parent's probably first priority to be the disciplinarian. And the reason why that is because that child actually biologically belongs to that mother or that father, and I think there's a, there's a part here that just says, you know, we accept you, and the reason why we're disciplining you is because you are part of the family, because you are part of this mix, and that's good. And then thirdly, discipline is designed ultimately for our holiness. What does he say in verse 10? He says, "Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines for our good, that we may share in His holiness." Our ultimate goal for anybody who's being disciplined is more Christ-like, right? That should be our goal. Unfortunately, there's a lot of parents and a lot of people who discipline not out of hoping that person that they're disciplining will be more Christ-like, it's all about their own embarrassment or their own shortcomings classic example of that, when you go to a grocery store or to the Walmart or whatever, and you see a mom whose child is acting up in the aisle, and she just blows it and starts yelling at her kid in front of everybody because she's so embarrassed that her child is acting up in public. That's not the way to discipline. That's disciplining out of your own insecurities and your own embarrassment and your own legalism, Perhaps. And what we're saying here is that our ultimate goal is to see that person that we're disciplining become more like Jesus. I told the story in the first service, Lynn remembers this, when we were at Greg and Susie's house, uh, this is way back when I was pastoring uh, in Wisconsin, I remember going to this home where Greg and Susie had a little boy and his little boy was totally out of control and these are the kind of parents that were kind of doting parents, and they just kind of loved on him. And he was so precocious, he was running the household. Do you remember that? And, and I remember my son and my daughter were there, and they were a little bit older than him, but, oh, he was brutal. And I think he was down in the basement, and we heard this noise. And this little boy clobbered my son over the head with a fire truck. And nothing was really done by it, but our kids put up with so much grief from this little boy, and they eventually came a part of our church. And, and Greg and Susie were both accepted Christ, and, and it's a great story. But that little boy really needed some tough discipline. And I remember Susie asking me one day, she said, Pastor Tom, um, what are we going to do with him? And I said, do you discipline him consistently? And, and, and went through this whole thing about disciplining with love and all of that. You know, well, no, we've been really inconsistent. Greg and I are on the same page. And I said, what do you want him to be? And he said, I want him to be like Jesus. And I said, so you're going to have to really come down hard on this consistent discipline, and you're going to need to get on the same page. And when you get on the same page, you're going to see a difference. And by golly, within a few short months, this little boy had really turned his life around because they began to realize that discipline was not something negative, it was something positive to make him more like Jesus. And God did a real neat work in his life. See, none of us really enjoy discipline, but listen, the more disciplined we become and the more we discipline others to Christ likeness, the more respect we will have. It's an important, important issue. Now I want you to go to a third component to this pathway. To respect. I want you to turn with me a few pages back into Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 7. I found this passage and I thought it was really interesting. Not only does he, uh, Philippians chapter 2 talk about the obedience of Christ. But I think there's uh, another flavor to this in in Hebrews chapter 5. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was uh, a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and the result, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So again, you see here where Christ obeyed while he was on earth, his father, and in his obedience, he was claimed as the high priest, if you will. Again, he was exalted for what? For his consistent obedience through what? Through his suffering is what it says here. He demonstrated his obedience through suffering, and I really think that consistent obedience is an area that we really need to work at when it comes to earning respect and love. And in this case, he's earning it through the most difficult times of his life, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was on his knees before his father and said, "Let this cup pass from me. No, not but your will, or not my will, but your will be done." And so he consistently obeyed all the way to the cross so you and I could enjoy heaven. So here's the point. We need to learn obedience often when times are the most difficult. You see, when we're learning obedience when times are the most difficult, isn't it fascinating how you just look at somebody's life and you say, Wow! I can't believe how this person has endured and how their character has been built. And they just kept being obedient. They didn't bail out on God. They didn't blow it all off. They just kept hanging in there. And they kept working at it and persevering. And, golly, that just gives me so much respect for that person. But what's really interesting here is that when we don't have that consistent obedience... Just the opposite takes place. And how many of you grew up maybe in a home where there was so much inconsistency with mom and dad and you felt like it was always, do as I say, not as I do. And you watched all the inconsistencies of their life and it just frustrated you no end. And you loved them, but you still didn't respect them. And I wonder if that's the kind of home that you grew up in and, and you've had a hard time finding consistency in your own life, in your own obedience, especially when times are tough because that's when we're probably being watched the most, and that's the times where God is probably disciplining us and helping us get through it so that we can have stronger character. And thus, when people see that, they have greater respect. You see, when we stay consistent in obedience, our character is built, and people see and respect this. I shared this story a couple of weeks ago, but we were home in Phoenix here a few weeks ago when my granddaughter graduated from high school, and. Uh, we, we had a graduation party the next day, and uh, all, there were five graduates that were invited to my daughter's house, and they were going to celebrate it together as families. And one of the things they decided to do that evening before the party started is get the kids in a circle, and all the parents joined hands in the circle in the living room and wanted to pray a blessing over their kids. It was really a cool idea. One of the moms that was there, her name was Sherry. And Sherry rolled up in her wheelchair. Sherry had been battling with cancer for a number of months and years, and she was just kind of getting over the hump with cancer when their family decided to take a vacation to California. They were driving down I-10, and some crazy guy who was absolutely crazy decided to stop his car and park it in the middle of I-10 and walk over to the median. And her husband did not see it, and he rammed into the rear end of that car going about 75 miles an hour, and Sherry broke her neck. And here's Sherry, this paraplegic, in this wheelchair, and she's in the circle of parents praying. And it just gives me goosebumps because I remember Sherry praying not only a blessing over her daughter, Lauren, but she started to thank the Lord for all the blessings in her life. And I sat there and I saw, here is this woman who is struggling from day to day just to have existence, and she's praying this prayer of blessing in her life, my respect for Sherry just doubled and tripled. It was amazing. And it was really interesting because there was uh, another young man who was a brother of one of the graduates, and he and his wife walked in the door right in the middle of the prayer time. And he came in very, very depressed because he had just experienced his third automobile accident in nine months and he had totaled his car the third time. And this one wasn't his fault, but nonetheless, his insurance was up through the roof and he was just really, really down. But he walked into that door and he heard Sherry praying and it just just changed his whole attitude. It's so important that we stay consistent when times are so tough, And for some of you, you've been there. You've been there in your home. You've been through this recession. You've had physical and health problems. You've had all kinds of stuff go on in your life. And your kids and other people are watching you. And if you stay consistent in your obedience through those tough times, it's just amazing what happens when people see that and see your consistency and see your love and see you're not getting down and see you not complaining and whining. It's just amazing what it can do in terms of respect and love for your life. So consistent obedience is really a critical component to the pathway to respect. So let me just ask you some questions this morning. These are really hard questions to respond to. And the question is this. When you look back on your home as you were growing up, were these qualities manifested in your home? Was there that humility and vulnerability from mom and dad? Was there that discipline that was consistent and loving and wanting you to, to grow into all that God wants you to be? You know, was there consistency or was there a lot of hypocrisy where there was a lot of disrespect and, and rebellion? And, you know, and for some of you, you grew up in that environment. I just want to ask you, what does your household look like now as a grandparent, as a parent? What, what does it what does it look like? Are these three qualities really being developed in your home? And to be able to ask that, maybe you can even ask your kids and say, or your grandkids and say, have Have we demonstrated these things? And, and what could we do better? Because we're able to show our humanity again, right? There's that humility, that vulnerability, and to be able to say to them, I, I never forget. One time, I was in a men's Bible study and. One of the things we were supposed to do for accountability is to go to our family and sit in a room and ask our kids to evaluate me as a dad. That was kind of vulnerable. and uh I think Lynn remembers that and I, I remember uh, asking Lynn and the, the kids when we sat and they wrote down uh, an evaluation of of their dad um, it, it was it was It was interesting. But it would be a real interesting thing for all of us to do. It's pretty vulnerable, isn't it? I know that in our family, one of the things that we always used to say when it came to consistency and obedience is I used to tell my kids, that I said, if we don't have integrity in our home, then we don't really have a home. And I I remember, I think to this day, my son would probably say that if there was one thing that Dad always really talked about was integrity. And that was the matter of consistency. And so I just pray that that still is a legacy that I'll leave in my family. But what kind of a legacy are you leaving? Is it one of humility? Is it one of discipline? Is it one of obedience? Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for these truths that your Scripture so clearly shares with us. It's so practical. It's so reasonable. Lord, I I pray, first of all, for that person today that doesn't know you. Because if they don't know you, it's hard enough to be consistent, to be humble, to have that kind of discipline in our lives. So, Lord, if there's somebody here that's never met you, that's never made you Lord of their life, the person who humbled himself to the point of dying for us, Oh, Lord, I pray that that person wouldn't wait another day. Especially if they're a dad here this morning, God, or a husband. It's so critical to know you. I pray that they could really start a journey of of really garnishing that love and respect that they want so badly as a dad and as a leader. I, I pray, Lord, for all of us that as we think about our homes that, Father, these truths would kind of resonate and that we could talk about them in our homes. We could talk about them with our kids and with our grandkids and, and freely be open about that because, God, we want to we be changed. We want to be more like you, and that's really desire of our heart. We want fam- our families to be healthy and, and whole, and, and that respect is really a, uh, just a common thing. So we commit that to you now. In Jesus' name I pray. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't know you, that they'd feel free to come forward here after the service and be able to pray with Pastor Dan and others that are up here because God is so important to know you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.